So now in Joshua chapter 6, we begin the conquering of the land. The method by which they took Jericho was very fascinating indeed. And the Lord said to Joshua, I have given to you the city of Jericho and its king and his mighty men. Now you're to encircle the city, all of your men of war. You're to walk around the city once and you're to do this for six days. And the seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And on the seventh day, you shall encircle the city seven times, and the priest shall blow with the trumpets. It will come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. <coughs> Excuse me. And the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And so Joshua called the priests and told them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Pass on and encircle the city and let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And so it came to pass when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horns passed before the Lord, and blew with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And Joshua commanded the people, you're not to shout or make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you to shout. Then shout. Verses 2 through 8 and 10. So <laughs> I can imagine that those that were in the city of Jericho began to get a little quizzical after a few days. So here's this army that is coming to take their city. And here are seven guys going around with these ram's horns and behind it, other fellows that are carrying this box between the staves. Then all of the army just walking around, not saying a word, and then going back home. Every day here, these guys are out here pacing around for six days. Then the seventh day, early in the morning, they woke us up this morning. After the seventh day, around on the seventh, on the seventh day, on the around the seventh time, then the long blast with the trumpets, and the people began to shout. And as they did, the walls of Jericho fell. Now, this is a pretty unlikely story, right? But it's true. And you should have no problem with it if your God is big enough. So God brought down the walls of Jericho, and the city was taken by Joshua and the children of Israel. Now, they were commanded that they were not to take any of the spoil of Jericho to themselves. This is the first city in the land that they are conquering. Any gold or silver or brass or iron that, they, that is there was to be given to the Lord. It goes into the Lord's treasury. This is the first fruits. The first fruit always belongs to God. So they weren't to take any treasures of the city to themselves. So the walls fell and the city was conquered. 
Joshua, there in verse 26, pronounced an interesting prophecy and a curse. Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son he will set up the gates of it. Verse 26. How in the world did Joshua know that? It didn't happen for several hundred years. But you will read in 1 Kings, the 16th chapter in the 34th verse, where the king decided to rebuild the city of Jericho. And they started building it in the time of his firstborn son. And then when his youngest born son was born, they set the gate of the city of Jericho. The prophecy here of Joshua was literally fulfilled. The man was also cursed. So the whole prophecy was fulfilled. Chapter 7. So we read here in chapter 7, the children of Israel committed a trespass against the Lord in the accursed things, for Achan took of the accursed things. That is, he took some of the spoil that they said was to go only to God, and he took it for himself. And God's anger was kindled against the children of Israel. Verse 1. <clears throat> so Joshua sent up to look over Bethel and Ai. Now Jordan is down in the plains. Jericho is down in the plains of Jordan. And it's quite a climb up the valley from Jericho to Bethel and Ai. And actually when you're in Jericho, you're about 1,200 feet below sea level. And when you get up to Bethel, you're about 2,800 feet above sea level. There is this valley that goes up, a very beautiful valley, that goes up from Jericho up to Bethel. It was the natural route. So the men went up, and they looked at Ai, and they came back to Joshua, and they said, Joshua, there's no need of sending the whole army. Just give us two or three thousand men, and we will take Ai. So Joshua sent a regiment up to take the men of Ai. And the men of Ai came out against them, and they began to flee. And the men of Ai pursued them, and 36 of them were killed. And they came running back to camp, and Joshua fell on his face before the Lord, down in verse 7. And he prayed, and he tore his clothes, and he fell to the earth on his face. And Joshua said, Alas! Now, that's a, that's a term that means we've had it, this kind of thing. Alas, O Lord! Why have you brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and we had stayed on the other side of Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their backs before their enemies? When the Canaanites hear of this, they will encircle us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do to your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Why are you lying on your face? Verses 7 through 10. Now I like this part. It's like when Moses was lying on his face when they had found themselves trapped between Piahiroth and Zephon and the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army had cut off their retreat route. And Moses cried out to the Lord, We're trapped. And the Lord said, 
why are you crying to me? Well, who else am I going to cry to? You're the one that led me down here. And the Lord said, stretch forth your hand. In other words, hey, now's not the time to pray. Now is the time to move. There comes a time to move and there's a time to pray. True. But then there's a time to get up and start moving. And Moses, this isn't the time to pray. This is the time to move. Now with Joshua, here he is laying out the whole lament. Lord, what are you doing to us? What are we going to do turning our backs to the enemies? Man, with, when this get, when this get, word, get word gets around, <laughs> they're all going to come down and they're going to wipe us out. We'd have been better off if we'd stayed on the other side. Lord, what are you doing? And the Lord said, stand up. Why are you crying to me? Then the Lord revealed to him that there was sin in the camp. They have transgressed God's covenant, for they have taken to themselves of the treasure from Jericho. Verse 11. Now, as we make a spiritual analogy here, and I, I think it's important that we do this, you see, spiritually now, we are entering into a new dimension of our relationship with God, the life and the walk of the Spirit. Now, God hasn't promised that it's going to be all victories. There are going to be battles. There are giants in the land. Your flesh has been deeply entrenched for a long, long time. Now, they conquered over the first obstacle because they followed the instructions of the Lord implicitly. But having gained the first victory, a danger arose. That was this business of self-confidence. Lord, we don't need your help with AI. We now know what the process of victory is. We're flushed with victory. God has just delivered this strong city into our hands. AI, it isn't nearly as big as Jericho. If we can conquer Jericho, then AI will be nothing. Lord, we don't need you on this one. We can handle this one on our own. Joshua, don't send the whole army. Just a couple thousand of us. We'll go up and take that thing for you. Now, how many times when God has given us a victory over some major issue of our flesh that we get flushed with victory? And with a feeling of confidence, or overconfidence, and we think, oh my, I've got it, I've arrived. I don't need help anymore. I can handle this little area. This is nothing, Lord. You know, I'll, I'll be able to manage this one. No problem, God. And I go out on my own without first seeking God, and God says, stand up. Why are you crying unto me? Had he prayed first... Joshua would, wouldn't have been in the predicament that he was in. Now, that is often true of our lives. If we had only prayed before we moved, we would have never been in this mess. So many times we are crying to the Lord, saying, Lord, why? And he says, hey, why are you crying to me? Where were you before you started this thing? I didn't tell you to go there. I didn't command you to get into that mess. I'm not the one that directed you there. You went there on your own. Self-confidence. And I think, 
Lord, I can manage this. I can handle this. I don't need your help. <laughs> Man, that's when the enemy always just gives me a real trumping. Beware of that kind of self-confidence, that overconfidence, and know that you can't conquer the very least of the areas of your flesh without divine guidance and help. Sorry about that, but you're just as weak as I am when it comes to dealing with the flesh. We've got to have the help of the Lord in every single area of our lives. If we're going to, if we're going to know victory over the flesh. Now, the reason why that is so is because God doesn't want us to become a proud fool and to go around boasting of how you conquered over your appetite or you conquered over this or you conquered over that or whatever. And you start laying heavy trips on everyone else and becoming sort of pharisaical against us and saying, well, I used to have that problem too, but I just did this and that and the other, and anybody can do it if they really set their mind to it. That kind of baloney. And you start putting down everybody else. Like, yeah, if you were only as good as I am, then, well, you could make it. So God let us realize how hopelessly and helplessly we are lost without his help. So that when the victory comes, all I can say is, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You did it. I tried everything, everything to get rid of my temper. And you don't know how hard I tried. I hated it. I hated it myself. I hated myself whenever I would lose my temper. But one day God literally took it away. And for a long time, I was trying to control my temper because, well, that's what my mom told me to do. Scott, control yourself. And man, I tried. And there were several times when I was relatively successful, building up a real head of steam inside, but keeping it capped. But then sometimes that cap didn't work. And when I blew, oh man, I really blew because there was so much pressure inside at that point that you, well, you know, I just went nuts. You just tear everything up and then you feel miserable and horrible. Oh man, why did I do that? And just going through this whole routine. But one day God took it away. It was no longer a process of controlling my temper. I just really didn't have a temper. I didn't realize that he had taken away for, quite frankly, for several years. At one day, something happened that would have really triggered me with a tremendous outburst. But there was no outburst. There was no steam. There was no anger. And I realized that God had taken that vile, horrible temper away. Praise the Lord. So I don't have any little formulas of success on how to control your temper or any other part of your life. I tried them all and they didn't work. But I have discovered that what I couldn't do for myself, 
the Lord was able to do it for me. <clears throat> when I came to the end of myself, when I despaired of myself, when I knew that I couldn't do it, and I cried out in desperation, God, please help me do it. I can't do it. Now, so often we think that, oh, that's the end of the road when I have to call upon God when I can't do it. Man, that's tragic that you would get to that point. No, no. How blessed because the final cry of despair is often the prelude for the first cry of victory. When God brings you to the absolute end and despairing of yourself, and you know that there is no way... <laughs> no way you can do it, and you give up. Then, and only then, is when God has the opportunity to step in and begin his work, because he's taking you one point beyond yourself. That's always a great point to be. God, it can't be done unless you do it, so that when he does it, then I don't play the fool and I don't take the glory as though I did it. Now, God wants the glory for the victories in your life. God gave them a glorious victory at Jericho. And they thought, we got it made. Don't send the whole army. We'll just go up. And they got whipped. They came back running to Joshua. God said, don't cry unto me. There's sin in the camp. If everything was all right within the camp, you would have had you would have had the victory. But there's sin in the camp. And they had taken of the accursed thing. So they called off all the tribes, had the tribes come by, and God chose the tribe of Judah. They had the families of Judah come by, and God chose this particular family out of the tribe of Judah. Then God had the families to pass by, and then God picked out from the family this guy by the name of Achan from the family of the Zerites. And Zabdi was taken, and he brought out his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken, verses 17 and 18. <laughs> now, if you were Achan at this point, how would you feel if all the tribes passed by and then they said, the tribe of Judah? And you think, oh, I wonder. And then they have all the families of Judah pass by and they chose this family, the Zerhites. And you think, uh-oh, <laughs> it's getting closer. And then they have all the family of the Zerhites pass by and they chose then your own household. And then it comes right down to you. And Joshua said to Achan, my son. I love the way that Joshua deals with him, though, in tenderness. Of course, he deals with him pretty firmly in a little bit, but, but he gives him a chance to repent, at least. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give, I pray you, glory to Jehovah, the God of Israel, and make confession to him. And tell me, now, what have you done? Don't try to hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of God of Israel, and I have done this. 
And when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, I coveted them and I took them. Behold, they are hid in the earth in the middle of my tent. The silver is under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran into the tent and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the children of Israel. And they led the, laid them out before the Lord. Verses 19 through 23. So Achan was guilty of stealing. And because this belonged to God, it was to be given to the Lord, all of the spoil of Jericho. But this man coveted. He saw this beautiful garment. He saw the silver and he saw the gold. And he coveted these things and took them and hid them in his tent, figuring no one would know. No one would see, but his sin was costly. It cost the lives of 36 of the men of Israel who fell before the men of Ai. And a, a lot of times a person thinks that his sin only bothers himself. My sin, it, it may hurt me, but it, but it only hurts me. That kind of thing. Hmm. No, sir. Your sin has a bad effect on others. So Achan and his family were brought forth. And Achan was stoned for his sin. Chapter 8. Then they went back to Ai. Now, this time, under the direction of the Lord. Joshua sent part of the army around the other side of the city to hide in ambush. And then he said, we'll come to the city like before and attack it with a frontal attack. And then we'll pretend like we are retreating as before. We'll start running and let them chase us. And after they've all come out and chased after us, then you guys come from your hiding places and take the city. So Joshua sent some of his troops around behind the city to lie and wait. And so in the morning, he with his troops came up to the gates of the city, and the king came out against them with his men. And Joshua and his men began to retreat, and the king called all the men out to pursue them. Let's wipe them out this time. And they began to pursue Joshua and his men, and they began to run back towards Jericho. And then after all of the men were drawn out of the city, Joshua raised his spear, and the men were hiding and waiting. When they saw the signal, they came swooping upon the city that was devoid of men, and they set the city city afire. And as soon as they saw the smoke from the city rising, then Joshua and his men stood firm, and they started to fight. And these guys turned around, and then they saw the city in flames, and their heart was gone. No more heart to fight. And the men of Ai, and the city of Ai, and Bethel, were then taken by Joshua and by his troops. Guided now by the Lord, they were successful. Doing it and trying to do it by their own ingenuity, they failed. They failed miserably by their own abilities. But now, directed by God, they experienced the victory. So they came then to Mount Ebal. They moved on through. Now we're on we're on about the middle of the land, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. 
And there, as they were commanded to do, when you come into that land, you're to stand there in the valley. You're to read the law of the Lord to the people. Verse 34. Afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And there was not a word that Moses commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the congregation of Israel. With the woman and the little ones, the strangers that were conversing among them. Verses 34 through 35. So they told them the conditions by which they would be blessed of God. The conditions that would bring the curse of God. The conditions by which they could be established in the land. The conditions by which they would be driven from the land. The blessings, the cursings, all conditional upon their obedience to the commandment of the Lord. Now, to me, wouldn't it be awesome if our president today, President Biden, got up and instead of making some excuse about the failure in Afghanistan, were to just come up to the podium and start by stating the law of God and that we as a nation were going to begin to follow God and ask for his blessings and his help and his assistance so that these cursings that we've had would fall away. Wouldn't that be awesome? So next time we'll get into chapter nine. Let us pray. May the Lord be with you and bless you and give you just a fantastic day. May he strengthen you by his hand. May your life just really stand out as a unique, beautiful example for Jesus Christ. God, keep you from the accursed thing that could spoil your witness and your testimony. May you enter in to a new dimension of relationship with him, walking after the spirit, experiencing more and more the neat joys of the victory of Christ within your life. As he gives you victory in those areas where you have been struggling so long in vain, May you begin to really just enter into the glorious victory through the power of God's Spirit. May the Lord be with you and give you and your family just a special, beautiful day as you celebrate God's love and the gift of God's love in Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. We love you. And all God's children said, Amen.